challenging and there's definitely been in the past spiritual warfare against these type of things uh, Satan doesn't like being exposed he doesn't like uh, the, these type of sermons because they expose him and they teach people how to be victorious over him and so anyway let's go ahead and open with prayer and then I appreciate just as little little distractions as possible during this time please so Lord I thank you as we get into this tonight I thank you for an awesome anointing even now in this place. Holy Spirit, as you move upon every person that's going to be hearing this, to give us good soul of hearts and minds and lives, even now that we're locked in and tuned in by the Holy Spirit to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus, eyes and ears of the Spirit, good soil. As you speak through me, your word is living seeds of truth sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, and grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. Lord, I thank you even now. Uh, this is going out everywhere it's supposed to go, the wind of the Spirit carrying it out among the nations. And, Lord, it will land where it needs to land, and that your Holy Spirit um, is watching over your word. And I thank you for your mighty angels just pushing back any resistance. We bind anything of the enemy. It goes from this place, this time, this sermon in any way in Jesus' name. And I thank you for it now that everything will be accomplished, and through this time that your will be done in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, so as we go into this tonight, I'm, I'm going to say up front that this is part four, really, of the series I've been doing on the ancient world, and we're looking specifically at Satan's threefold cord because I believe that this is, is going to be Satan's greatest attack, if you will, in the last days, and I'm going to take my time with it. There's not a whole lot of notes, really, but... It's a deeper subject, so I'm going to do my best to explain it. As I was saying, please kind of focus in on this. And it, there's going to be, just like there has been, kind of some controversial, maybe a little strange, different things you haven't heard, um, but things that we need to talk about. And so I've been dealing with a lot of that in this, this specific sermon series, and we'll continue in that vein tonight. So tonight, we're talking about three different spirits now, when I talk about these three, this is not like small. These would be Satan's greatest forces, I believe, that he has on the planet. I believe it's very connected in time prophecy. I think I'm going to be able to show you that tonight. But let's open with this. In Luke chapter 13, 20 through 21, Jesus gives this really interesting scripture. Now, in the Bible... Leaven is always seen as like sin. So like, for example, at Passover, when you purge the leaven out, it has to do with removing the sin out of your life, out of your home. And also the leaven of the Pharisees was their hypocrisy and their false teaching and things like that. And then let me just read it. It's really interesting to me because I think that it speaks of something I, I hope to expose. But it said, he said again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? <clears throat> it is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. 
Now, I know Jesus is talking about how it will expand and grow. I understand that. But isn't it interesting that he said, though, in this, that they would be like a woman that's introducing three pecks of flour or leaven. So there's a woman that's introducing leaven, and then it's going to spread. And so tonight, I'm going to use this scripture kind of as a metaphor, and I'm going to take you kind of on a journey to show you some things. We talked about the ancient world before the flood in the days of Noah, that God had to flood and wipe out what was there at that time, okay? And then we talked about how Nimrod tried to reintroduce the religion, the worldwide religion under the Nephilim that was in the earth, which I believe would be what we would call Satan worship and the occult and all that darkness that God flooded and washed away. But Nimrod tried to reintroduce that again. Okay, and God, I, you know, God tore down the Tower of Babel. Extra biblical writings say when God sent a wind and tore it down, scattered the people, confused the language. But I want to show you something. From that time of Nimrod, God had spoken to Abraham that I was, he was going to give Abraham the land of Canaan. But he's told Abraham it would be 400 years later that his descendants would come there to possess the lamb. And so Satan had like 400 years to try to stop what God was going to do. Now remember, I can't recap, but we've talked enough through this series. You know the gospel was given to Adam and Eve. You know there was an ancient priesthood. You know that people were looking for the Messiah. All right. Satan was trying to stop the coming of the Messiah. And he knew that when God called Abraham, this was significant. He knew the land of Canaan would be significant. And so going back before the flood, the worldwide religion, the stronghold that Satan had that was destroyed, what Nimrod tried to reintroduce, you see that now Satan kind of putting landmines throughout the land of Canaan. You see there again the Nephilim. How many references are there in the land of Canaan to those giants? I mean, you see the Nephilim is there clearly. And then you also see in the land of Canaan, there are strongholds like Jericho. There's references in the Bible in the land of Canaan to what we would call today Satan worship and human sacrifice and all kinds of occult practices and idolatry and, and sexual immorality and all kinds of perversions, and Satan was trying to create such a stronghold there that Abraham's descendants would never be able to penetrate into it. But God still made a way, amen? And God gave them a supernatural victory at Jericho, which, of course, was like a first fruits or a tithe that God told them not to, to take anything from there. It was to, is devoted to the Lord. But at the same time, it was also devoted to destruction, because it was an evil place, probably a Nephilim stronghold that God destroyed. And it might have been a central stronghold spiritually to the entire region. It's, we don't know, but it might have been. But isn't it interesting that going back in these ancient times, that when Joshua came into the land, he began to destroy what God told him to destroy, all those strongholds of the devil. All those locations and, and all the idolatry that was there in the pagan worship, all of it was being destroyed and brought down. 
God's people were possessing that land and people were either uh, fighting God's people and thus being defeated and some of them killed or they were fleeing the area. And here in America, believe it or not, going back to ancient times, even 1500 B.C., we find in this land ancient Phoenician, which is very interesting, Phoenician and Egyptian hieroglyphs and things in caves that were here. There's even a uh, North American Stonehenge is what they call it, but it's a, a Nephilim structure of some kind, and they found a piece of rock there, and I saw it for myself, that was dedicated to Baal, the god of the Phoenicians. Isn't that interesting? So there was a group of people. The Phoenicians were seafaring people. They lived on the coast. In fact, they lived pretty much around the, what we call today the Gaza Strip. But they were on that coast there with the Philistines and the Phoenicians. In fact, Jezebel was a Phoenician princess. But they would go out on ships. And they, along with the Egyptians, were coming into this land, and they were dedicating this land to their gods. And we have writings to such. Now, isn't that interesting? And so there's ancient spirits, if you will, ancient things, ancient strongholds that have, that have tried to come into this nation that even predate what we know today as the Native Americans. As a matter of fact, much of the mounds, like in Ohio, like the Serpent Mound, etc., the, the Native Americans adamantly state that they did not build those. Those were there before them. And no doubt in my mind that they had to do with the Nephilim that were here on the earth before the flood because whenever our archaeologists came in and began to unearth things out of there, they found a lot of those giant bones and all of that. So there's something in this nation that goes back to Baal worship. Is everybody hearing me? Okay. And then later on after that, we have what we know today as various tribes of the Native Americans and their shamanism, which is a form of witchcraft. And of course, when, America, when England began to bring over settlers into here, we know that uh, as far as the pilgrims, we know that they were devout Christians. And you're not going to probably hear the truth about this in your public schools anymore for quite some time. But look this up for yourself. The pilgrims were actually were very devout, sincere Christians. And they came to this land with the Mayflower Comp Compact, and they, they, they dedicated on Virginia Beach. They set up a cross and dedicated this land to Christ and to the furthering of the gospel. And they saw themselves as missionaries to the natives here. And so God honored that. And Christianity began to come in. But at the same time, there was this weird thing when England began to send more people over, and we were still a British colony that a lot, of, a lot of the hierarchy, the leadership, were Freemasons. And so there's always been a battle for this land. Does that make sense? It's like a, a train track that has two sides to it. There's always been this Judeo-Christian heritage that's been very strong in this nation, but there's also been this undercurrent of something dark that the devil had planned. And for the majority of the time, the Judeo-Christian heritage has been the dominant. But we're living in a dangerous time where Satan's trying to do away with that, and now the other side become dominant. And one of the ways he's trying to do that is erasing our history so that people don't know our Judeo-Christian heritage and how powerful it was. And this has been a land of revival, a land of great revivals that have spread all over the world. So 
let me just talk about three spirits that I believe, as I expose them tonight, I believe with all my heart that these are Satan's strongest forces in the earth. These are his generals. I believe they will be connected to end-time prophecy as far as the rise of the Antichrist. And for us to defeat these, it's not a matter of bossing these things around, but it's a matter of making sure that they have nothing in you and in your family. And then if you're really free from their influence, you can command them to leave you and your family, and they have to back off from you, okay? But... The, the important thing is what Jesus said, Satan comes, but he has nothing in me. The important thing is they have nothing in you to exploit, okay? No legal ground, no rights. So the first one I want to deal with is Matthew twelve twenty four, and that is, it says this, but when the Pharisees heard Jesus say these things, and it, they saw him casting out demons, they said this, the Pharisees accused Jesus, believe it or not, of being like a shaman or a witch doctor or something like that. And they said, this man cast out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. So it's very much a blasphemous thing that they were doing. But the word Beelzebub is Baal, the prince of demons, the ruler of demons. So this is a ruling spirit, okay? And so just to talk a little bit about Baal... The spirit of Baal goes back to Nimrod. And the spirit of Baal worship is, in my opinion, it has to do with this. Baal worship, the spirit of Baal has everything to do with trying to take the worship that belongs to God and bringing it unto itself. Which, in my opinion, Baal might very well be Lucifer himself. So he's trying to get worship unto himself, idolatry. Baal also has a lot to do with immorality, has a lot to do with ungodly covenants that are made with demon powers. It has to do with bloodshed, especially I would point out ritualistic bloodshed. And then it has to do with lawlessness and like anarchy, okay? So that's Baal. And I believe that in America, we've been running for a long time like a train track where the Judeo-Christian heritage has been so strong. And every time it would wane, we would see a great revival and God would help us. But we're really at a dangerous time where we need a, a major revival because Satan is trying to bring up this Baal spirit really strong. And one of the aspects of Baal is to remove God from the culture and then replace it with paganism. And that's been going on for some time. And what concerns me is that according to secular studies, Christianity in America has been on the decline and one of the fastest growing religions in America is witchcraft. That should concern you. And not only that, and that's secular studies that will tell you that not only that, but there's been a, a major rise in what we call Satan worship. This goes back to Baal. The symbolism of Baal, if you want to look this up, you can look up the goat of Mendes, or you could look up another name for that, Baphomet. And that's not only the, the, like the statue of Baphomet, but even the pentagram with the goat's head in it. That is a symbol of Baal. 
And even in ancient Israel, they have found, they've unearthed things that go back to Baal worship, and they've even found pentagrams in that. You know, it's really interesting. So Baal worship is ancient. It goes back not only to Nimrod, but it goes back to a pre-flood time of the world of the Nephilim. It filled Canaan. This is, this is Satan's greatest stronghold has to do with Baal. And as I paint a picture, I want you tonight to, to try to imagine this with me. Imagine like a triangle. And Baal is at the top of the triangle. And now I'm going to give you the other two spirits that work with Baal. But Baal is their leader. All right? And so as Baal is at the pinnacle, and isn't it interesting that when you look at like the back of the dollar bill, what do you see? You see that triangle. And you see like the raised top of it. That's, that raised part has to do with Baal. And that eye is the eye of Horus. And that light there is like the light of Lucifer. It's a very Freemasonic thing, which I'll talk more about as we go. So this triangle, that's like the head. And then on the right hand of Baal is Leviathan. And Leviathan is a spirit that's like a destroyer. And so Leviathan is seen in Job 41. There's other places in the Bible. But it is described like a metaphor. It's described in the Bible like a sea monster or like some kind of a, almost like a dragon of the sea. And in the book of Revelation and in other places, it's referred to in Psalms as having many heads, multi-heads. But you see it in the book of Revelation with seven heads and ten horns. And so Leviathan is seen directly connected with the Antichrist. And it is a spirit of pride. And Leviathan is the spirit that has to do with death and destruction. And it is meant to destroy any person or institution that the devil wants to destroy. It is a destroyer of churches if it can a destroyer of Christian families, it is sent to destroy, okay? And I'll talk more about that here in a moment. And then on the other side of the triangle, you have the left hand, you have Jezebel. And this is the queen of heaven, it's the whore of Babylon. And in Revelation 2.20, uh, the Lord said, I have this against you to the church at Thyatira that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Now go back to the first scripture I, I read, a woman that was introducing three pecks of leaven to work its way through, okay? But it says, Jezebel, you tolerate her. She calls herself a prophetess and teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. So you see immorality and idolatry. I gave her time to repent. She does not want to repent of her immorality. So the Jezebel spirit is a spirit that tries to get people to worship Baal. And so it's a spirit that leads people in false worship. But it's also, as we all know very well, is also a spirit of powerful, ungodly control. It is the spirit, without a doubt, that is going to empower, possibly completely possess but empower the false prophet. It will enable him to do miraculous signs and wonders, the Bible says. And um, he's going to be the one that institutes the mark of the beast, which will control people. You see, ungodly control. You won't even be able to buy or sell without it. 
So this, is, this Jezebel spirit is a powerful spirit of control and rebellion, disorder and division, and of course it has counterfeit revelation. Now let me go back and talk about Baal, Leviathan, and Jezebel. Again, picture the triangle. This is a stronghold in our region, but it's a stronghold nationally, and it may be a stronghold all over the world, but I definitely can see it in the West, in Europe, and here in North America, very strong. And let me show you what I mean. I, I personally feel that there's these are ancient spirits, okay? But there was something that predates even the Native Americans here that goes back to Baal, as I've already mentioned. But whenever the Native Americans came and they began their shamanism and their witchcraft, they were connecting to the spirit of Baal without really realizing that. And then, of course, we know that Freemasonry, now, let me give you an example. Freemasonry, you know, like 150, 200 years ago, it, it would have been unheard of for Freemasonry to really be in Protestant Christianity. I mean, it would, not, it would not have been accepted. They would have had a problem with it. But it's sad because if you go back and study this, I, I can't say this all over the West, but I grew up in East Texas and I studied that area. In East Texas, for example, whenever a town would be established, after you got whatever was the initial uh, city council and the post office, you know, whatever was initially there, do you know what some of the next things to be established is? A Freemasonic Lodge and some type of like a Baptist church or something like that. Now listen to what I'm saying. Go back and study this for yourself. Most of those churches that were initially established, whether it was Baptist or another denomination, either the pastor or the elders or all of them were also Freemasons. Did y'all hear what I said? And so you talk about having a powerful stronghold over a region when the very first thing in that city was to establish a Blue Lodge, a Freemasonic Lodge, and then the first introduction to a church there of Christianity also married itself to Baal. It created something over that region, over that city from the very beginning. And I'm telling you, this is very common in East Texas. I'm not saying it's necessarily common in like Europe and France and places. I really don't know. But here in North Texas and into East Texas, this, I would say that it's very common that that happened. Now, what people have to understand is this. When people get into Freemasonry, most of the people on the lower levels of Freemasonry, the overwhelming majority of them do not even know what they're doing. So please keep that in mind. Because if somebody comes in and they're just a, a Mason on the first three to five levels, you know, they don't really know what they're doing. To them, in their mind, it's just like a fraternity or something. Not that those are necessarily innocent either, but it, to them, in their mind, it's just like a brotherhood of, of joining with other guys and, uh, you know, just a social thing. But what they don't realize is it, ha it is a worldwide system that is a religion that's devoted to Baal. And I've studied this out, and on my mother's side, her grandfather was 32nd degree Mason, right? And so we know about this. Believe me, I have researched this in depth. I know what I'm talking about. So... Masonry is fiercely generational, 
It, it is a powerful generational curse that has to be broken. Now, what people do when they enter Freemasonry, they're blindfolded and they're led in, and they, as they enter into the Blue Lodge, eventually they go through a series of things they say and all of that, but eventually they end up kneeling at an altar. Did everybody catch what I said? Look this way. Give me your best ear. They end up kneeling at an altar. And there's a Bible open, and there's the square and the compass there. And they basically have stated in this ritual that they were in darkness needing to come into the light of Freemasonry, which unfortunately the light of Freemasonry is the light of Lucifer. It's not the light of Jesus Christ. So what would that say to you as a Christian? To me, I would think any type of thing that is secretive like that, number one, would be a red flag. But number two, if I'm knocking on a door and they're saying to me, how can I help you? And you say something like, I'm in darkness needing to come into the light as a christian why would i say that i'm not in darkness i'm in the light of christ okay if anybody's in darkness around here it's the freemasonry and now listen i could go into this big long thing but it would be this long rabbit trail i would probably lose you it would probably at some point get boring to you to be honest but freemasonry trust me when i tell you that one of their leading uh scholars and has written books his name was manly p hall he said when you get up into the realms like 33rd 32nd degree and all that he said you feel the seething energies the powers of lucifer flowing through you that's what he has in official writings in the freemasonic lodge and i would say that that's very true so the way that everything is structured in satan's kingdom is that the low the lowest level people do not really know anything then you go to the next level you learn just a little bit more then you go to the next level and learn it a teeny bit more and each time you're desensitized does this make sense and the reason why satan does that is because the lower level people he doesn't want them to know because they probably would be like i don't want to get involved in this i had a guy i had two different guys that i ran kind of had a run-in with them because for whatever reason, there was a bunch of Freemasons at a particular place I was working years ago. And somehow it came up in conversation. And I just mentioned some things. Well, this one guy and a really older gentleman kind of cornered me. A really nice guy. But he said, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay. And he said, he wanted to pull me way off to the side because in Freemasonry, for those that don't know, you take these blood-curdling oaths about having your, your tongue ripped out, your bowels spilled out, and your head cut off and left for the buzzards or whatever. I mean, it's nasty if you reveal the secrets, you know. So this guy was all nervous, and he's like, I need to talk to you. I said, all right, so we go off into this side area where nobody was, and he said, I've heard you mention some things, and, and basically, I'm paraphrasing, you must know what you're talking about, but he said, does Freemasonry start getting involved in a witchcraft as you go up the degrees? And he said this, because he had just entered another degree. And he said, I have a reason for asking. I said, yes, it does. He goes, that's what I thought. And I told him, I said, you need to get out of it, sir. Give your life to Christ, get out of it, renounce it. 
And then there's other people. I mean, I've had people listen to me, people that don't have a clue. You know, they want to argue. But the God of Freemasonry is Lucifer, but it's presented, as you get all the way up there, it's presented in this way. It's a weird ecumenical mixture that goes back to Nimrod. It goes back to Mystery Babylon. And here's what they call their God in Freemasonry. Jah bull on the jaw part is supposed to be the god of abraham how many knows he has nothing to do with freemasonry the bull part b-u-l is supposed to be Baal. okay and then the on the o-n is supposed to be osiris so it's very egyptian and in freemasonry at the early levels they actually have a mock ritual where somebody is killed and then they're kind of buried, so it's almost like a baptism. And then by the strong Paul, they're raised back up. So it's a weird baptism. So they kneel at an altar. They're giving their lives to Baal without realizing that they're doing it. And then they go through a mock ritual of death, burial, and resurrection. And so Baal worship is very strong in Freemasonry. There's other areas um, that Baal worship is very pervasive. In, every, in my opinion, every area that you see a cult, you see idolatry and all that, it goes back ultimately to Baal, okay? But people enter covenants, and they dedicate themselves, and they don't realize that by doing this, they're not only giving themselves, but they're giving their family and their descendants over to that. And so you have to pray about these things so to be truly free from Baal you kind of have to divorce yourself from Baal because most likely I'm not saying always this is not always the case but many times somebody in your family ancestry has knelt at some kind of an altar and prayed to something and dedicated themselves and their family to something that wasn't God and ultimately that goes back to Baal and so you have to follow the example of Gideon in the Bible when God called Gideon to be a great warrior for him, Gideon's family, now think about what I'm saying, his family in his, in his backyard, they had an altar to Baal. And an Asherah pole, which was like a phallic symbol. They, he had that in his backyard. It was a family stronghold. And God told him, for me to use you, basically, you've got to tear down that altar to Baal. And so Gideon did it at night because this is sad. He was afraid that the people of the city and his own family would kill him if they um, saw him do it. That's how strong this Baal worship gets in people. So Gideon goes at night. He tears down the stronghold there. He destroys the altar of Baal, tears down the Asherah pole, cuts it up. And then this is what God told him to do. He said, then I want you to take an animal, a bull, and I want you to offer it unto me on top of that. And so as he killed the animal, the blood was shed and the blood covered this. Okay, the blood erased it. And so it's a picture and type of us dealing with things in our family history, our family ancestry that goes back to Baal worship that whatever altar they knelt at and dedicated the family to, that now the blood of Jesus Christ is put over that and it's canceled out. 
That's how you get free from Baal. It's almost like you've got to divorce yourself from it. And I believe that we did that years ago in River of Life. God put on my heart to preach on it. And back then, maybe those that are listening to this sermon, God put on my heart to share. There was a book. The last name of the guy was Cirovina, and I think it was S-I-R-O-V-I-N-A. I think that's how you spell it, Cirovina. But he wrote a book called Redeeming Your Bloodline. Really powerful prayers in the book about these very things. And so I encouraged everybody to get it. I think I bought some and gave them out. We prayed about it as a church. And I remember people that had the humility and the wisdom to really pray about it. It cleared some things for people. Okay. So that's Baal. And Baal is also, before I move on, Baal is also going to be this unholy trinity in the last days. You have Lucifer, who's going to be a, a counterfeit to God the Father. And then you've got his right hand. You've got his Antichrist, which is a counterfeit Messiah, a counterfeit Jesus. And on his left hand, you've got the false prophet, which is like a counterfeit to the Holy Spirit. See, this is how this stronghold is going to operate. God has called us as his true people to be warriors, but to also be priestly. We're to be worshipers and prayer warriors, but we're also to use our authority to destroy the works of the enemy, advance the kingdom. Does this make sense? So Satan also has his counterfeit where he's got this Leviathan thing that's like a destroyer. It's like spiritual warfare. But then you've got this Jezebel thing, which is like worship and very priestly. And I wonder about the 666 because what, how is that going to play out? Because the number six is always symbolic of sinful man because man was created on the sixth day. Well, it's interesting that it's actually going to have that number in it. Is it going to look like a triangle? What else could be in this? Is, is it going to have something else more sinister looking, more satanic? I personally wonder, the Antichrist, when you talk about Baal worship, Look, look this up if you've never seen it. Type in Baphomet or the Go to Mendes, and you see that statue that's like a mixture of male and female. That's interesting. And you've got this weird goat-headed uh, creature with a phallic symbol. I wonder if that isn't going to be the image of the beast that the Antichrist actually has sitting there in the temple that he's demanding to worship it because it embodies Baal or Lucifer worship. Is this making sense? May not be. It could be something else, but I, I suspect it's going to be that. So Leviathan, let me give a few more things about that. So Leviathan is like the right hand of Baal or Lucifer as a destroyer. So picture in the right hand like a club of destruction, something that's meant, and it's seen again like a sea monster, like the tail will come in and just destroy. Multiple heads. It's meant to cause all kinds of death and destruction. When Leviathan comes, it operates mainly through pride. And so we've got to be careful because, please hear me tonight, pride is a very subtle sin that everybody has some pride, we better repent of it, we better deal with it, because it is the pretty much the legal ground for Leviathan. But not only that, Leviathan is fiercely generational. 
It, it operates also through idols, altars, and covenants and families. But it is a strong spirit. And when Satan is want, wanting to take somebody down for real, I mean somebody that's a real threat to him, he wants to take them down. He will send the Leviathan spirit to do it. Now, let me try to explain this. Last week, I dealt in depth with Leviathan just for the church. But in, in Satanism, they, they release a curse against people of death and destruction. That's Leviathan. It's meant to bring death and destruction. So the way that this will operate many times is this, what I'm about to describe. Something with Leviathan can also be very python for those that are familiar with the Bible. Python is a spirit of divination. It's a counterfeit revelation. So what happens is all of a sudden something is slithering around out there that's whispering in the minds of other people negative things about you. How can you, what do you do about that? If you discern it, you can take authority over it and try to kind of nip it in the bud. But you can't control what everybody thinks. This is a very intelligent attack of the enemy. Because I've seen this many, many times over. Unfortunately, I'm not shooting this anybody here. Please understand that. But just I'm talking about the greater body of Christ in all of America. Everybody professes Christianity. They should be spiritually mature. But sadly, most of them are still got their little pacifier and their little pull-ups on. And whenever the enemy comes in and whispers things in their mind, they never even question it. They have absolutely no discernment. If you were to ask them, because they supposedly read the Bible, well, what is a fiery dart of the enemy? I don't even think they even think about what that actually is. A fiery dart of the enemy are things like that being shot into your mind. And the Bible commands us to challenge these thoughts and bring every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ and that you don't yield to these things. But most people will yield to it and go right along with Leviathan and become his little puppet. Pretty soon now, because they, Python has given them information in their mind that they want to believe, now they begin to go around and spread that with gossip and slander. And it starts causing destruction. So basically, Leviathan's power comes mostly through people that yield to it using them to destroy the credibility of ministers. Let, let me tell you, there was a lady, and my wife and I actually know another lady that got saved. Her assignment was to infiltrate Christian churches and pretend to be a Christian to destroy them from within, and that is very common. A lot of Christians are clueless to this, but that is very common, okay? And there was another lady that I really respect that she was, she was pretty powerful in Satanism. And she got saved, and she was saying that she was trained to do that and trained many others. And she said personally, listen to what I'm saying. She said personally herself over a 17-year period was instrumental in the destruction of 100 churches. And she was trained in this. How do you do it? Let me, let me just give you this because I'm talking about Leviathan. Number one, she had to go in and pretend to be getting saved. Go down to the altar, cry, put on a really good show. And, of course, people don't question it. And I'm not going to go into all of it, but here, here was the key points. She wouldn't have any trouble with a lot of places nowadays. But one of the things 
if a church was powerful, they were powerful because they were praying church. Everybody catch that? She's not going to have any problems nowadays if she was still doing it because there ain't too many places that pray. But back in the day when churches were really powerful and they operated in the gifts and, you know, people had creative miracles in the altars and demons were cast out of people and it actually looked like the Bible back then. Okay, those places, they understood prayer and they were a praying church. And so when she went in, you know what her number one assignment was? Do whatever you got to do to get prayer out of the church. Because once prayer is out, now the church becomes weak and vulnerable. Hello? I don't understand. I, I think of one example of somebody that's doubling down about not having corporate prayer. Listen, I say this in love and respectfully. This is not a time to get out of prayer. We're in the last days. It's like snap out of whatever funk you're in. This is the time for us to be getting in more prayer than we ever have. All right, so she would take out prayer. And then she said this wasn't hard either because unfortunately a lot of people like the gossip. She would set up rumors against preachers and maybe set up circumstances that put them in a place to where something would look bad even though it wasn't and then spread gossip and pretty soon the church started getting divided. It's not hard to do. And then number three, she said always make sure that everybody's disconnected as much as possible. So her assignment also was to go in and have the men are always doing one thing, the women another, the teens one thing, children another. They never were together. They were always separate. And it was a tactic of the enemy to keep the family unit divided. That's interesting to me because you see these things. And so what is the end goal here to destroy a church? Ultimately, to remove any threat. And I'll tell you one more thing. Also, she said this was a major tactic. She would always try to become a teacher in the church. And she would do two things. Number one, she would get people confused and also make prayer complicated and make people feel that they weren't worthy to pray, okay? And also, she was talking about in that, that as she taught, she would also want to pray over people. So that's why I would always, in River of Life, always screen who's praying for people and who's teaching. And you want to, listen, this is something I know people hearing this don't want to hear it, and they want to live in their world of thinking these things don't happen. This is just reality. So since these things go on, let me tell you, the Bible says the wheat and the tares grew up together. You're not going to be able to always discern everybody. You can look for fruit. But let me tell you, walk through a church and begin to pray that God expose and clean out people that need to go. Amen? And if we'll pray that way, God will do it. And God will sift out those that need to go. Others can be saved. Pray for their salvation. But some of that I found really interesting because the, the end game of that was to make a church lukewarm, powerless, and ineffective that it was not able to see Book of Acts Christianity. And one of the main aspects, she said, the number one thing she was concerned about was this, that there would never be any teaching that would expose Satan, 
that would expose his tactics or would teach people how to defeat him. And every time anybody started talking along those lines, she would begin to try to make them feel like, well, you're glorifying Satan, so quit talking about that. Did everybody just hear what I said? Satan does not want to be exposed. And the Bible says it has nothing to do with the deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. You know, Jesus taught us about demonology. He's the one that taught us much about that. The apostle Paul taught us about it in Ephesians 6. He talked about principalities and the, the wickedness in the heavenly realms and rulers of dark forces. We know from them and others about spiritual warfare. We're supposed to be teaching people these things so that they, the enemy is exposed and then we teach them how to drive him out of their life and how to live in victory over him. And Satan hates that. He does not want to be exposed. And why do you think in America, in our history, when God sent great revivals in times past, Kenneth Hagin talked about this. He warned about this. He saw that they would be right before Jesus come, a great move of God, which we're about to see. But he said this, that there was a time that God tried to bring the deliverance ministry to the forefront and really make it a powerful aspect, but it wasn't well-received. Mainline denominations label people like Derek Prince heretics because people were getting delivered from demons in their meetings, in particular Christians, so they didn't like that. And Derek was real loving about it, and he said, you know, here I am preaching and then praying with people, and some people start manifesting, they get delivered from demons, and it was like one of them was the Assemblies of God, labeled him a heretic. And he said, well, listen, he said, what am I supposed to do? Just leave them in there? Think about that for a minute. But they didn't like that type of ministry. So they marginalized it. They persecuted it. It never was able to come to the fullness of what God intended. And I saw that with other ministries that had powerful deliverance ministries. They taught about spiritual warfare that over time it was marginalized. People didn't want it. And I even know people. I, I know one guy in particular that has a pretty powerful ministry but he told me this. He said, well, I don't want to be a deliverance guy because I don't want to have to deal with the way people view him. He told me that. He's got an itinerant ministry. See, that is Satan's activity in the church to stop him from being exposed, for people getting delivered from his bondage and teaching them how to live a victorious life, how to overcome him. Satan does not want that taught. So the spirit of Leviathan will come in, and one of the ways it will come in is by infiltrators that come into the church to destroy it from within. Satan's fifth column, okay? Be careful because when Leviathan comes, it will attack people's health. There's mental and emotional torment with Leviathan. For example, like panic attacks are very common with Leviathan, night terrors. Leviathan will cause, this is the king of strife. Leviathan causes misunderstandings and confusion. It operates in pride, but it gets people, what they say is all twisted up, misunderstood, and there's strife and division. When you see that activity going on, it's Leviathan. So Leviathan comes to divide and destroy. 
We need to understand this. And so in the last days, Lucifer is going to be like Baal. The Antichrist is going to be empowered, I believe, by Leviathan. It's a spirit of pride. You see it kind of swimming through in Revelation, the sea of humanity. People, people are going to be given over gradually more and more to worshiping the dragon, which is Lucifer, to worshiping the Antichrist and worshiping his image. And the more that God's true people are being removed out of the earth, the remaining ones are going to be those that are given over to that, okay? Now, the false prophet. I've talked about Freemasonry. I've talked about idolatry. But the false prophet, this may surprise some people, the connection here with the Vatican and Roman Catholicism. Because many have maybe never considered this. But the Jezebel spirit, the queen of heaven, this is a principal spirit that is very strong in Roman Catholicism. Now, I personally believe, and many, many do, that the Vatican will have a very key role in the false prophets, probably a pope of that time. But in any way, it's going to have a lot to do with the unification of the religions of the world. And it's been doing that since at least the 80s, maybe before that. In fact, I can't go into it, but I even have a video right now put out by Catholicism where the Pope was unifying with all these other religions back in the 80s, Pope John Paul II. So it's not just Roman Catholicism, but other religions like Mormonism and Hinduism and Buddhism, all these different types of religions out there, ultimately they, they are false gods that are worshipped, and in Roman Catholicism they do not believe the gospel that we believe. But here's the deception that you'll find with them. I can say tonight, well, we love Mormons, okay, but Mormons don't believe like we do. Nobody has a problem with that. I can say we love so-and-so and they don't believe, but when you start talking about Roman Catholicism, something gets people agitated. That's how powerful the spirit behind that thing is. Do you hear what I'm saying? And it's not just here in America, it's around the world. This thing has, is ancient and it's a, it's a powerful spirit and I believe it has everything to do with the false prophet in the days to come. The queen of heaven is a spirit of, of mystery Babylon that's going to empower the false prophet. This is just the way I see it. And if it's not Roman Catholicism, it's going to be something exactly like that where it has a form of looking Christian, but it's not. It's going to have that. This is the stronghold. Can anybody see it? Now think about it. As I opened this today, I talked about the scripture where Jesus said there were three pecks of flour and leaven. Think about what I'm saying here for a moment. How much has Baal worked its way into the body of Christ? Like eleven in different forms. But it's worked its way in maybe even working its way in through bloodlines that have never been purged because churches won't deal with it. How many places, think about what I'm saying. Let's talk about this weekend, all of America, how many churches, let's say out of, you know, 100,000, how many do you think will ever even talk about one sermon about generational things that they need to purge out of their family? You can probably have 100,000. You could probably count them on one hand. 
Therefore, Baal has access. It's like leaven that's worked its way in, okay? And then we talk about Leviathan. We talk about things like Freemasonry and other, other aspects or p infiltrators or things that's come into the church to divide and destroy. It's never talked about. People don't deal with these things. Therefore, it's like leaven. It's like Leviathan's leaven is able to work its way into a church. And then you deal with things like the Jezebel spirit, which promotes, and, and here's the thing, Jezebel will pr promote like false prophecies and false counterfeit revelation, and it's false teaching, and it's all this weird stuff, worldly stuff too, occult stuff that comes in, and it works its way in like leaven, and it's never challenged. Is anybody else seeing this? When this leaven begins to work its way in, it starts rendering a church ineffective. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He said that there was somebody in the church at Corinth that was in sexual immorality. And he said that they had to remove that person out of their fellowship. And he said this. He said a little leaven, a little yeast will work its way through the whole batch of dough. He was saying kind of like Achan with Jericho's situation. He was saying that one person is like a leaven in your midst that's going to work its way through and affect the whole church. You have to remove that out. And then he goes on to say, because he understood Passover, he said, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been shed. He, the blood of Jesus has been shed. He said, therefore, keep the feast. He's referring to Passover, but he said, you've got to purge the leaven out. The problem is, is that these things have found their way in. If I could say it this way, Mystery Babylon has strongholds in much of modern Christianity in one way or another. It's not challenged. It's not even preached against anymore. Where something has come in and people don't want to deal with it. Even sin in the camp. There should be a move of the Holy Spirit Listen, people should think about this. I'm going to close with just a few more closing thoughts here. But number one, there are many people that sit on church pews every week that if they were to leave out and die, they would go straight to hell. Did you know that? Have y'all thought about that? Please look this way and give me your best ear. There's many people that sit in church, but if they were to leave and die, they would go straight to hell because they are not born again. And they have never really repented of their sin. They're just religious. They know who Jesus is. And they can tell you why he died. But they themselves have never been transformed. Therefore, church is boring to them because they're not God's people. They look good outwardly, but they're not saved. It's never challenged anymore. I grew up in churches where people would preach the truth and people would come down in the altar and pray about stuff. You remember those days, don't you, back there? We, we grew up where people would preach it like it is. And this particular lady, I was listening to her testimony. I've been talking about her coming out of Satanism. And, and uh, she said this. Think about this. She said that she was sent to a smaller storefront church. And she said this. I was listening to it. I was like, this is interesting. 
She said, I was sent to a smaller storefront church to destroy it because it was such a threat to the devil. And she said, when I went there, she said, the power of God was so strong. She says, as Satanist, as a witch, she said, I couldn't even get out of my car the first time. Then the next time I came, I went up and I tried to open the door and I couldn't even open the door. And finally, she slipped in the back and said on the back, she never was able to do anything there because it was a praying church. It was a powerful church. And you know what happened? She ended up getting saved. Isn't that awesome? You, but you know what she said about that place? The reason why Satan considered it a threat? Because they preached the truth and they told it like it was. People need to consider some things. Just because you know who Jesus is, so does the devil. It doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You better make sure that you really are born again. And you've repented of your sin and your life is lining up with the word because if you're not really his, you're not on your way to heaven and you're not, you're just playing a game, going to church. And, and it's going to, the things of God are boring to those that are not truly saved. But those that are truly born again, the Holy Spirit lives in you and you're a new creation in Christ. And therefore the things of God come alive to you. See, before I was right with God, church was boring but once you truly get saved you're transformed you love god's house you love his presence you find yourself wanting to read the word and pray and, and you're hungry for the presence of god you're a new creation so what does this stronghold in these last days promote what is it perpetuating number one great deception idolatry false god worship cults heresies strange paranormal things like people and this is kind of one of the things i wanted to say in passing but in the native american culture and in other cultures around the world in africa and haiti and other places missionaries have come back and tell you that some of these strange paranormal activities and even people physically being changed is common that they've it's going to blow the minds here in America, but I mean, missionaries come back and tell you it's true, but people's physical bodies can be altered. I mean, they can change into something else. For example, even in the Native American culture, skinwalkers can go into a trance or whatever they do and walk through burning coals and not be injured. That's demonic. People's physical bodies can alter to look like something other than what they are. Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. So these demons can enter people and alter their actual physical bodies to look different. And it's like a shape-shifting thing. I really believe that before Jesus comes that there's going to be more and more of this strange occult paranormal activity. And some would say, for example, the demonic spirits like in locations that people see what looks like a little girl or looks like an old man or something in a house or they see these things and why does the devil do that why do de demon spirits pretend to be these things it's a simple answer because it's promoting insane levels of deception that people start thinking that when you die you hang around a house when the bible says you go straight to heaven to be with the lord or hell to be with the devil you don't hang around a house it also promotes the thought of reincarnation okay which is against the word of god where there's a resurrection and not to mention it promotes the occult because people want to start talking to these things which in fact are demons 
There's going to be more and more of this weird deception, occult stuff, I'm telling you. And number two, it promotes demonic activity, occult practices, witchcraft, Satan. Which number three, it defiles people. As people are sexually immoral, they're being spiritually defiled. Number four, broken vows and covenants. Number five, it promotes bloodshed and violence. And number six, it promotes all kinds of lawlessness and anarchy. This stronghold in our nation is the principal spirits behind. Have you seen how the Democratic Party and extreme liberalism is wanting so much the removal of our Judeo-Christian heritage? And you know as well as I do that there's been a push in some circles toward the anarchy in the streets, all the looting and the violence. The Bible calls the Antichrist the lawless one. And there's going to be a lot of violence. These spirits are trying to erase anything to do with God out of our American culture and create a society that will no doubt accept the Antichrist when he comes. So what is the effect that this has had on God's people in the church. Sadly, I would say that it has brought a lot of disunity and lukewarmness in the church. Number two, we see it in our culture, as I've already mentioned, removing out God from our culture. And number three, in a general sense, just stealing, killing, and destroying, like plundering. And the enemy's been doing that, but here's the thing. God wants us to rise up, expose him like I'm doing tonight. Expose him. Expose what he's doing. Expose the name of these spirits. Expose their tactics. Tell people how do you get the victory over them. You deal with it. You deal with it in your family. You deal with it in yourself. You repent of these things and you submit unto God, resist the devil, he must flee. We have authority over these things. But we have to understand what are we dealing with? What are we facing? The tactics of the enemy exposed and confronted, driven out. And then we've got to begin to deal with it in our nation. If people, if the church would really begin to unify in powerful prayer for real, I believe things would shift in this nation. And it doesn't have to be large groups like a lot of people think. Most historic revivals were birthed with smaller groups. But if God can find a group of people that will really pray, I mean earnestly pray, then he can use them to see great revivals. So, Lord, I thank you as we close this out tonight. I thank you for your word. And, Lord, that we can deal with Baal by dealing with those altars that have been knelt at. Whether it be in our life, our family ancestry, we can do like Gideon and get it erased and disconnected. With Leviathan, as we begin to repent of the things that we've been operating in, maybe pride or us ourselves operating in being critical and judgmental or spreading gossip or, or being divisive or, or the strife, being a part of strife, any of that, any area being rebellious toward leaders and divisive, if we repent of our evil ways and Leviathan has nothing in us, we command him to leave in Jesus' name. And also Jezebel, that there's no areas in our lives or our family that is connected to that Jezebel spirit, that we humble ourselves, we repent of it. We repent of uh, where men will rise up and be the leaders we're called to be. Wives will submit unto husbands. Children will obey parents. Homes will get back in order. 
There won't be ungodly control. There won't be rebellion. There won't be witchcraft. We repent. And as we do, we can dismantle these strongholds and drive them out of our lives and out of our families and out of the lives of our children and out of our churches. And we would be humble people of prayer and deal with these things in churches because Satan many times has strongholds. And, Lord, I'm asking you to bring revelation that people are willing to deal with the things that need to be dealt with. I want to say this story before we close out recordings. But there was a time that years ago, sweet lady, I I don't even know to this day, I'm sharing this because this has to do with the leaven coming in. Real sweet lady came, and as far as talking to her, I, I liked her. She was really sweet. But there was something dark about this person. I'm not even saying it's their fault. It might have been something in their family. It might have been something in their past. But just simply something not dealt with because sometimes there's sincere Christians that just have stuff in their life. But as the intercessors began to pray, some things began to come up that were concerning. I know that some people saw her off to the side and she was like kind of chanting or something while I was preaching which that was a red flag right there. And I remember uh, that knowledge came to my wife, and so <laughs> my wife being like she is, and uh, whenever it came time for me to preach, she would zip over there and sit right next to this person, right? Which, it was kind of funny. But anyway, and then whenever the intercessors would really begin to pray and they begin to groan and travail in the spirit, Romans 8, groans too deep for words, this person was doing that, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. I don't know how else to explain it other than in the spirit. It felt like nails on a chalkboard. It was just not of God. I couldn't stand it, but I didn't have anything to, I mean, what am I supposed to say? So I said, Lord, you've got to help me with this because this is a sweet person that could be a sincere Christian. The last thing I want to do is hurt them. But as far as I know, they could also be a witch trying to infiltrate this church. I don't know. I don't know this person. I mean, And God never told me which way it was, but either way, it was something that wasn't of God. It wasn't good. And so I began to pray, Lord, you're going to have to help me get this out of here. Long and short of it, something came up, had nothing to do with me. She got offended, left, and never came back. But I'm saying that to say this. In most places, I don't think that that would have been discerned, and I don't think it would have ever been challenged. And it would have been leaven that worked its way. It was a Jezebel spirit. It would have worked its way in. And even though we have wonderful intercessors that are probably, in my opinion, the intercessors and the prayer warriors are the powerhouse of the church. Satan wanted to send a leaven into that mix and it spread and began to neutralize their effectiveness and kill the power base of the church it has to be discerned and dealt with in love nothing nothing was ever done to hurt this person in any way there was a minor issue that came up and and they got offended about nothing shouldn't have got offended left but in my opinion that was god simply removing someone out that needed to go and we love them and i pray for their salvation nobody was ever mean to this person but you need to pray that God keep the leaven out of your church. It's serious. It can really destroy the the power of a church. 
And so, Lord, I thank you for helping us to discern these things. Because a lot of times these people, whether they're Christians that are demonized, have another spirit, a Jezebel, or they're an infiltrator, they ultimately want to become teachers and teach. They also want to lay hands on people and pray over them. But what you're going to get from them is not of God. It's, it's a weird spirit. Do you see what I'm saying? So you have to discern it to keep the church safe. Things need to be vetted. There doesn't need to be just a free-for-all about who prays for people. There needs to be a process that you know the people. And just because you need teachers doesn't mean you need to just throw people in place. You need to really vet people because it, a wrong teaching can really hurt people. So, Lord, let it come that there's wisdom and discernment. And we thank you for it now in Jesus' name. All right, we're going to pray for people tonight. And I want the intercessors to also be used of God to pray. But let's go ahead and if you would, just go to a screen and we can hit the lights and move the chairs.